This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 145 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is one of this year's biggest breakout stars, the winner of the Best Actress in a Drama Series Golden Globe back in January, and the odds-on favorite to win the Best Actress in a Drama Series Emmy in September for her work in the show that may well win the Best Drama Series Emmy as well, Claire Foy, who plays Queen Elizabeth II in Netflix's The Crown. The 33-year-old Brit has impressed critics ever since she got out of drama school, winning strong notices for her turns in several BBC offerings, the 2008 miniseries Little Dorrit, the reboot of the drama series Upstairs Downstairs, which ran from 2010 through 2012, the 2012 miniseries White Heat, and the 2015 miniseries Wolf Hall, as well as Channel 4's 2011 miniseries The Promise. But it wasn't until last November 4th, when Netflix dropped the entire first season of The Crown, that everyone else began to catch up on what a remarkable talent she is. The Crown is a creation of Peter Morgan, the same man who was behind the 2006 film The Queen and the 2015 Broadway play The Audience, both of which also center around Queen Elizabeth II, and which brought Helen Mirren and Oscar and a Tony, respectively. The TV series was created with ten seasons in mind, each chronicling a different chapter of The Queen's ongoing reign. Foy was retained for seasons one and two, which were made at an unprecedented cost of $100 million. The first spans the Queen's marriage to Philip, Duke of Edinburgh, in 1947, through the resignation of Winston Churchill, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, in 1955. And the second, which is expected in the fall, will pick up from there. Over the course of our conversation at Netflix's FYC Interactive Exhibition Space in Beverly Hills, Foy and I discussed a wide range of topics, among them. How she landed the role of the queen, despite being five months pregnant at the time she auditioned. Why, once she started diving into the part, it felt like she was playing many different characters. What the secret is to conveying the emotions of a woman who has always made a point of hiding her emotions. Why it is incorrect to report, as many have, that she's quitting the show after season two. How she's adapting to her newfound acclaim and accolades and industry interest in working with her, and much more. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Claire, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. We always begin with just the, the basics. Where were you born and raised? And what did your folks do for a living? Oh, <laughs> I was born in Stockport, which is in Manchester. Then I was raised there for about four years, and then I moved to Leeds and Bardsey and Weatherby, which are in Yorkshire. And then I moved down south to a village near nearish London, about an hour away from London. My dad, at the time, worked for Rank Xerox. He was a, a salesman for Rank Xerox, which was a very 80s thing to do. <laughs> and he had one of those car phones, <laughs> just was a real yuppie. He'll hate me for saying that, but he really was. And my mum was our mother. And then my mum and dad got divorced. And we stayed where we were. And then my mum went back to work. And my dad moved back to Manchester. Now, you are the youngest of three I was reading. Being the youngest, they tend to crave attention. Was that where no. it is? <laughs> are you mad? Well, it's really weird. Like, we were having this conversation on set the other day about how many actors are only children and youngest children. Yes. And we realised that on The Crown, within kind of a month's worth of asking people, there were two people who weren't. Oh, my God. And weirdly, on The Crown, a lot of people are also Aryans. So we've got a lot of, <laughs> like, red star-signed people, right. hot-blooded people. Right. But, yeah, no, I think it's a... Uh, I don't know whether it's, it's... It's partly the attention thing, and I also think it's partly you are given free reign to find your own sort of identity in a way, or kind of you, you have to... No one's there to bounce back at because right, they've got right. something else to do. So you go, who am I? Right. Someone's going to tell me who I am. So I think you're probably just searching for it a bit more. Now, for you, though, it actually wasn't initially acting from what I what I heard. It was dancing at first, right? Why did that give way to acting? Oh, I mean, I, oh, I love dancing. I just love it. It was I, ballet or? Well, I mean, yeah, I did, I did ballet as a kid but not like as in you know I wasn't a prima ballerina or anything I just did it in my village hall <laughs> but I have and recently I went with all my all my best friends we went to a ballet not it were contemporary ballet so but I went to the ballet quite a lot as a child I don't know I think dancing I just it's a way I just it make I don't know it's something about it I just have to do it yeah. I have to do it oh do you still do it well you know in my house <laughs> in my kitchen <laughs> With my child. Right. But I just think moving and I just, I love it. And I and I thought that when I went to watch the ballet, actually, I was like, God, it really makes me feel something. And I think if I was any good at it, I would have loved to have been a dancer. But I'm physically not very well made. I had arthritis <laughs> as a child uh. and all sorts of injuries and stuff. So it never was going to be a, a, um, the calling for me. But I think I probably had to do something somewhere along the line where I had to express yeah. all these emotions that I was feeling. Otherwise, I probably would have done a harm to myself or someone else <laughs> <laughs> and that was so that was school plays and things like that or what was it early on I think early on I did I definitely I mean I did like school plays at primary school and stuff so when I was kind of like nine or ten I was Mary in the nativity and I played Titania <laughs> in Midsummer Night's Dream which all my friends who were primary school said I fell off the stage <laughs> you don't recall and this. I don't remember that I must, have, I must yes. have literally blocked it out <laughs> and I just thought it was a perfect <laughs> right, performance right, right. and then I went I went to a grammar school and it was an all girls grammar school and 
I was very much aware that everybody else was far better and more talented and than me and it was only when I went to university where I stepped out of my own kind of when you were allowed to be yourself a bit yeah. more and I suddenly went in my final year I just suddenly went god I, I, I think I'd like to do it I don't know why and then so then I just sort of tried she's um, really interesting oh he's such an idiot you, you can tell our listeners who that was that was Prince Philip yes <laughs> being a complete idiot no that's funny so you go off to, to university and initially you were not solely focused on drama because is it true you, you were thinking more along the lines of cinematographer yeah, well, I mean, I, I've always, in my family, I, don't, I mean, I think it's probably true of most children of my generation, but I was obsessed with, like, obsessed with films, and I don't know whether I differentiated films from actors and actresses and directors and people who made them, or whether I just thought they were just this, this thing. They were yeah. just this amazing, magical, right. amazing thing. So I always grew up spending all my time watching them, and then I suddenly kind of thought... And my sister had, my sister's five years older than me, and my, mm-hmm. my brother's um, a couple of years older. My sister had already gone into broadcast journalism. She was working in kind of a TV morning show mm-hmm. in England, and then she was working for a kind of a marketing journalism sort of organisation. So I knew about the backs, about being a runner or being kind of an AD, I yeah. suppose. So I knew that that was a route in, and I thought maybe that I would do that. And I, I, I've always, my uncle is a photographer, mm-hmm. a sports, sports photographer, and I've always been quite obsessed with light anyway. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's amazing. And so I'd always been quite obsessed with it. So then when I went to uni, I started reading up on it and more about kind of how you do it and how you light it. And then we were doing, we did, made loads of kind of films, silly, silly things that we had to do at university for kind of our course. Mm-hmm. And we did this one children's TV program. I was like, this is my moment. This is when I come into my own and I become a director of photography. Right, right. And it was so, I was like, why is this person that I'm lighting looking worse and worse? <laughs> and how do I bounce this light off here? I don't, and I couldn't, I just was like, obviously I'm not gifted. And it's really amazing, actually, when you watch someone, Adriana Goldman, for example, who is a DOP on The Crown, mm-hmm. one of the amazing DOPs that we have. But he, when you watch someone like him, and he is tweaking the lights until the final second and he's in there yeah. moving the lights himself and he knows that where a light is coming from, yeah. it's all natural, it's all beautiful. And he makes, he elevates the programme to yeah. a different level. It's because of him. There is no way that I could ever have I competed with anyone You like know what's him. weird, though, is I recently saw a stat where the, first of all, there's only one Oscar that's never been won by a woman that they could have been eligible for. Obviously not Best Actor or whatever, yeah. but the and that's Best Cinematography. But there aren't any. There I aren't any. I've worked with one female cinematographer. I don't wonder what that's about because why not? But I think you have to come up through, I think there's loads of women in the camera department. Loads of the clapper loaders are women and not so many focus pullers. But I think you come, but I think it's like anything where women are having to choose between you get to a certain point in your career and you also get to a certain point in your life and you have to choose whether you have children or whether you keep going and whether you want to work those hours because it's a demanding job, you know, especially for the crew. It's a good 16-hour day, five days a week, and hopefully not six, seven days a week, which is a lot. So you have to be really dedicated and and, and often it's, you know, that women have to sacrifice something to do that. But for you at university, the the real reason, so you, you were film and drama but it, you dropped the film at a certain point because, not literally, because that that film didn't work out. No, I mean, I, I, I always, I think I 
ultimately when it came down to it, you know, when it when I was editing and I, it was very clear that on my film course, though I was one of my friends, Chris, who was on the course, he, you could tell that he could come up with the idea. I couldn't come up with a kernel of the idea. I had to be inspired by something or, or read something or um, for that to exist. Right. Um, which is why now I find it very difficult to imagine what I'm going to be doing next because I have to see it see for, it. you know, I, I can't just think something up and everyone's like, you've got to stop thinking about making your own work. And I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? It would be an amazing thing to start doing that. But I, yeah. but I, I just am not, I, I am much more inspired by other people than leading that inspiration, I suppose. On the drama side of things, though, I heard you were dealing with some, I don't know if stage fright is the right word, but there was something going on that, you had to get past at and it sort of at university and then beyond even when you went to a, a, a further year. Is that true or is that not? Was there something? Uh, I never, I mean, I think uh, at university it was more just self-doubt and just going, I'm not really, I can't really do this. And then I think I got the confidence from getting into drama school. Um, at Oxford. Yeah, at Oxford that I should probably do something. But no, I had, I did, I had stage fright. I did my first professional play, but I also got my first ever TV job. And it was a big part yeah. whilst I was on whilst I was doing the play, and I went through a very odd period of time where I was just terrified. Really, and I think it was the the culmination of everything happening at the same time, and suddenly going, "Oh my god, I'm actually doing what I've always wanted to just weirdly do." This right. is really weird. I now am terrified <laughs> of myself. I'm guessing you might be referring to Little Dora. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that you got almost. Almost as soon as you got out of Oxford, right? Oh, no, it didn't feel like it. No, uh, no I, I mean, I left drama school and I didn't have an agent and I just went straight into kind of temp work and then very, very luckily got a call kind of in like uh, in Siberia, <laughs> you know, of kind of in a working in a call centre in Old Street in London. And um, I got a call saying, do you want to come in for this audition for, for Being Human, which was the pilot in, in the UK. And BBC. then from, Yeah, BBC. Yeah. And then from that, I managed to get my agent and then I, and I got the job so fortuitously and then and then I got an episode in another tea thing and then I got the play and then I got little Dorrit and then I had a mental breakdown (laughs) (laughs) but it was just all a bit like oh my god what oh my god well let's talk about little Dorrit because it would I can understand why that would be a jarring thing when suddenly from being working at temp jobs you're saying Mm -hmm. you're now you know a major part in a 16 part BBC adaptation, mm. which was done on a massive scale, right? This, it was huge, yeah. yeah. Can you contextualise a little bit of, like, what what were we dealing with? Well, I mean, they all, the BBC anyway, do like to launch new faces. Yes. And so I knew it was kind of down to me and two other girls. And at no point, I remember the final audition I turned up late to, and I, I never dreamed that, that I would be getting that part and playing that part. And then I got it, and then they all came and saw the play that I was in, and I was like, convinced they were going to, not and so at every point I just kept thinking I'm not right for this and someone's going to tell me and and it was a difficult part of me because I'm quite a it was a real learning curve because I'm quite expressive as you can probably <laughs> tell and quite loud and quite big and she was very contained and little and tiny and meek and good practice for another yeah. part that might well yeah one day I know I mean it's all but it really does it, it, it has shown me that you know you learn something with every right. job so I, I just definitely thought I, I had a lot of work to do I had to do a lot of work on that because that was my first kind of real job of going this is a part you've yeah. got to get you've really got to and also, it's a really big part. And if you don't do this well, you're never going to work. And just to talk about, they they basically took the whole backlight at Pinewood, right? Yeah. And 
massive set, 80 cast members, 80 something yeah. cast. Well, Matthew McFadden was in it, Tom right. Courtney was in it. It was like, it was, it was an d- absolute dream, but I wasn't able to enjoy it right. in that way because I was just going, who is this who's doing this? Right. It's not me. <laughs> but it was extraordinary at every single kind of, but ultimately I realised from doing that job that it's all well and good sitting back and going, this is amazing. Right. And it's really important to do that. I've realised it's really important to some days just go, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> but then it's also really important to remember you're there to do a job and that ultimately the most important thing is that you are honest and that you've thought about it and that you're not just there because you think you should be there, <laughs> that you're there because you want to do justice to the story and all those sure. things. So, yeah. Can I just prompt you about a couple of the others en route to, to The Crown that I think Ooh. we should talk about? Oh, uh, God. Which oh, ones? These are good. These Hang are good. on. All, all good. Which you going to bring up? <laughs> Let's start with Lady Persephone. Oh, God. Nazi sympathizing Nazi, yeah. aristocrat. Uh-huh. Upstairs, downstairs, reboot. This yeah. was, I guess, was this your first time playing a... a, a, a and not well you, yeah yeah i was dead posh in that yeah. and yeah no i never i don't think i'd played anyone really posh, <laughs> posh before <laughs> a real posh i never no, i absolutely loved that character yeah. i thought she was an absolute idiot <laughs> but i really really i just yeah. loved it i loved it she was wild and kind of um bonkers and all right so then back to bbc2 for white heat this was as yeah. a second wave feminist in this and first time you played a character over a long period of time, yeah. I think, which is, again, going to factor in to some extent with The Crown. I know that you're – it's not the whole life, but it's still a chunk yeah. of the life. I wish we could – I could say I was aging up. Yeah. There's been no aging. It's just I've developed my own wrinkles right, right. from doing this program. It's weathered me. I've become right. completely – but, yeah, White Heat, that was great. That was an amazing job. I got to have red hair. Yes. And um, <laughs> I got to work with Sam Claflin. Right. And some really amazing actors. And that was a really special job, actually. Really special. All right. And that brings us to The Promise, which was for Channel 4. You're yeah. playing a 18-year-old who experiences sort of an awakening during a gap year in Israel. Yeah. And this was the first time you worked with Mr. Kuzminski. It was, yeah. And that would factor in later. But maybe you can just talk about that one. I genuinely, when I read that, I completely understood who she was. She was exactly like me at that age. She was really angry and she didn't know why. And she wanted some sort of cause to fight for and she didn't know what it was. And she just felt really, really annoyed all the time. (laughs) And that's how I felt at that age. I felt really, really just pissed off. Mm -hmm. And I think I didn't know anything really about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict really at all, apart from what you read on the news. Mm -hmm. And so I went out, you know, I got to film out in Israel I got to act out some of the best scripts I've ever read. And I got to work with Peter, which was a real, real amazing experience. He has an extraordinary way of giving you a lot of confidence as an actor without doing anything. He gives you room and only talks to you when he feels like he needs to. It's just, and there's no board going on at the beginning of a take. How did you come to that one and come to him? Because we referenced that you worked with him again, and that would be in Wolf Hall, which was like... Three years later. Yeah. But first, just, that's why I want to, I'm curious, how did that even begin? The... Well, I just, I mean, I just, I'd auditioned about a yeah. hundred times for it. <laughs> I think he, he wrote it, so he was really concerned about finding the right person. And I remember very clearly one one audition, which was probably number five, getting in the lift with him. And he said, so, I've, I've watched all of Little Dorrit. I've done my homework. Have you done yours? <laughs> and I was like, oh. ah! Yeah. But it was really important that he got the right people. And I met Perdita Weeks. And we did a like a kind of a, what do you call it? Like a, not a charisma test. What oh, chemistry. Chemistry. chemistry yeah. Charisma test. <laughs> that could, that could work too. very yeah. high. Um, 
Yeah, and we did like, and so it was just, it was just a really, really beautiful, amazing experience, and it really felt like the sort of program that I want to be making, and and I just, I loved it. I loved yeah. every single second of it. So he was a, he was a fan of yours, obviously from the Promise. Then three years later. He says he liked you a lot, but you still had to audition again for him to get Wolf Hall, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, No yeah. gimmies. No. <laughs> I mean, and and I definitely didn't get the job on several of the auditions. I, 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 was, I was filming in Puerto Rico, would you believe it, <laughs> with loads of fake tan on. And I had loved the books and I'd read the books and I'd found I'd seen him at a social event mm-hmm. recently and he told me he was directing them I was like oh my god Peter that is the most exciting thing I've ever said like I heard that they are the, my most favourite 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 books these are uh, I can't wait. I, yeah that. I can't wait I can't wait to watch it and no, never even considering and it's really weird because my other half had said when I was reading it it was like are you reading it thinking that you could have a part and I was like no I'm <laughs> and I never read books like that right, I never right, do right. and if anything I was going oh this she'd be great she'd be great and then he Nina Gold, who also cast The Crown, who mm-hmm. I owe my life to, <laughs> said, you know, he'd like you to go on tape for it. And I was like, well, I just, um, I was sort of really angry about it in a way. I was like, I'm going to do a terrible audition. I did that job with him and it was amazing. And I'm going to be really bad. And I'm really annoyed with myself because I'm going to be really bad. And I was really bad. But and you then, were specifically auditioning for Anne Boleyn. yeah, yeah. Your first queen, we should say. Yeah, my first queen. And then I came back for a Christmas break and I got in the room with him and, and I'd had a lot of time to think about it. And yeah. then I just was like, I know I know her, I know her, it's fine, I know her. And and you say you know her, what was it, That what was the trend? It was, for me, was that actually, with Anne, it was that she was desperate to prove herself. And she was incredibly intelligent. And it wasn't that she was living in a man's world, because, I mean, there's no concept of that, because it was Tudor times. There was no other option. It was just the world. But that she should be able to compete on a level with people who she's as intelligent as. And she just wasn't. And she was completely at the behest of this man who ended up killing her. Right. But that she had so much to give. And if she'd have lived and she'd have been given a chance to be a queen, it would have been a very different landscape, I think. Yes. Peter has said of the execution sequence, quote, That scene is probably the sequence I'm most proud of in 35 years of filmmaking, and it's because of the work Claire has done in the scenes leading up to it. Mark Rylance is stunning in that scene, and the writing is brilliant, both from Hilary Mantel and Peter Strawn, the screenwriter. But it's gut-wrenching because of Claire, close quote. Was that a sequence? (laughs) Did that sequence, you know, when you're doing it, did that stand out to you as... Well, I mean, we did it twice. I I felt like I... I didn't live it, obviously, but I (laughs) felt like we were in Dover Castle. It was the middle of August, and for some reason it was like some really hideous day where the wind was really high, and it just felt horrible. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really do that much preparation for it. The, the, The speech that she gave was completely verbatim of what Anne said, I'd sort of made the decision before going into it that her determination would be she wouldn't get angry, she wouldn't say, I haven't done it, uh, she wouldn't blame anyone, and she wouldn't she wouldn't get emotional. That's not who she was. She would have... This would be her moment to go down in history, literally in this moment. And everybody says that she was incredibly composed and she was very eloquent and quite small. And so we just we we did it twice. That was it. We did a we did a mid shot and then we did a, a close up. And Peter always is like, "Would you like to do any more?" And I was like, "No, no." Yeah. And it just it just felt that all the essays were incredible, and it was it just felt like it was the right thing. Yeah, oh, that's great. So that was on TV in 2015. Mm-hmm. I assume you made it probably in 2014. Yeah. The Crown goes on TV in 2016. I'm assuming you made it in 2015. Mm-hmm. What was going on in your life when you first heard about The Crown? 
I was five months pregnant. <laughs> so I was pregnant in the execution scene. I knew I was pregnant because I remember I had a bacon and egg McMuffin <laughs> that morning. And I went, there's something wrong with me. Right. I hadn't had one for about 15 years. Right, and right. I was like, there's something. De- I knew I'm this, that's something up. <laughs> and, I, and my dresses had started not fitting. And I couldn't tell anyone. Right. And hadn't done a test or anything. So I, I didn't know that I was pregnant. But I was just like, this is what's happening, mm. isn't it? This is definitely what's happening. Um <laughs> And then so I finished that, found out I was pregnant, and then just obviously just got fatter and fatter. <laughs> and then didn't go up for anything, obviously, because, you know, I was just like, well, I'm just going to have my baby and just, you know, be a mum. Mm-hmm. And then my agent was like, so there's this thing, it's about the royal family. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> and he was like, it's about to play Queen Elizabeth. I was like, oh, God, are you joking? It sounds awful. <laughs> and then I read it and I was like, it's not awful, though. Mm. It's really good. And uh, he was like, Stephen Daugherty's directing it. And I was like, you're joking. And I was like, well, I'll just go in and meet them. I'm not going to get it. I might. It will give me something to do for the next couple of weeks. So I'll prepare the scenes for it and I'll go in. So I went in and read and it was really relaxed that they were all there. All the executives were there. And I was like, this is weird. I'm not really used to this. I'm used to just going into a room with a casting director and doing it to kind of, you know. What did it tell you that they were all there, that it was actually maybe not such a huge pool of people they were looking from? Well, Afterwards, yeah. <laughs> I went, huh. But that's not normally the case. And I think, I don't, I don't know, I have never really spoken to them about it, but I think they probably were seeing quite a lot of people because mm-hmm. it's a really important thing to get right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was, I was obviously really pregnant. So <laughs> I, I was like, my baby would be three months old when I started this job. What is, and actually, I think that it was even earlier than that, actually. And then it, time wore on, and then I did like kind of a screen test for it, dressed mm-hmm. as the pregnant queen. It was ridiculous. <laughs> and then... Yeah, it was the week before I got married. They went, I was, I got married as I was pregnant. Well, yeah, hey. <laughs> it wasn't a shotgun wedding. <laughs> and um, they were like, yeah, we want you to do it. And I was like, well, this really, t-. and I really was like, this takes some thinking, that, like really thinking about it. I talked to my sister about it. Well, what, who, were your, what were your considerations on either side? Well, I just, it, I was going into something, being a mother, that I'd never done before. I'd, first of all, I didn't know what physical state I was being, because no one knows after yeah. they've given birth, you could be completely annihilated, mm-hmm. which you are anyway. But, you know, and I also thought, you know, what if I don't respond well to it mentally? I, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if, yeah. what if? What if I decide to do it? And then, you know, and my agent just went, you know, you have the baby and it's three months before you start. And if you just, you have the baby, you go, I can't think of anything worse then we'll just tell them. Mm-hmm. Like, you've had a baby. It's a big yeah. thing. But then they were also, I've never, ever been in a situation. I'd never been in a situation like that ever before where they said, what do you, what would, what would help you do this? And I was like, um, <laughs> <laughs> I need to be able to breastfeed. They're yeah. like, okay, sure. I was like, I probably need a trailer for the baby. Okay, sure. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go massively power hungry. Right, no. That was pretty much where my demands stopped. But, but that's th- they were. It's Netflix, right? And now Netflix is approaching this as a, the biggest thing they're ever, they've ever really yeah, done. Yeah, it was also, you know, it was also Left Bank Pictures, who Left were Bank, the, okay. the British production company, who okay. obviously it was Left Bank and Netflix, but, but it was the production company of Left Bank who really were supporting way, yeah. me yeah. and saying, this is all right, you know. This is all right because I was, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't freaking out, but I was like not going to do it because it was too much changing in my life. Was another consideration of yours though, knowing that okay for Netflix, this is going to be. I don't know if you knew this yet at that point, but a hundred million dollar thing for mm-hmm. you know a massive thing that is you know really a lot riding on it, mm-hmm. and you're signing up to be the the face of it essentially. God, there's no hiding, isn't there? Yeah, uh, no. So I mean, was that in any? Did that give you any hesitation at all, or were you ready? That was not the issue. No, I, I don't. I don't. I think my the, the, what was happening in my life at the time was t- to me much bigger than that in a mm-hmm. weird way. Mm-hmm. I think also as well, 
it was sort of the unknown, the whole Netflix original thing. Right. You didn't really know. And, and I suppose Netflix were just incredibly kind, generous and uh, trust, trusting of us. They really genuinely work. They went, okay, go on, do make it, and then we'll watch it and see what we think. <laughs> and that's such a model for yeah, making really things. That it's an old school way of doing yeah. it, but it really works. And I just looked at the, my, the company I was in, and I looked at the actors I was with, and I looked at the directors and the writer and all the creative team and all the crew, and I just went, I mean, this is something very, very special for me, yeah. regardless if anyone likes it or not. But you're so used to being in things that nobody watches or nobody cares about <laughs> or everyone thinks it's rubbish and everyone's got an opinion. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and so I just was, it was, it felt like, in a weird way, it felt like it was just for me in a weird so way. So when did weird. you, do you remember when you heard that for sure you were being offered this? And, and then from then, how long was it before you said yes? I don't think it was that long before I said yes, to be honest. I think there was a lot of kind of back and forth about would it would it be okay if I was feeding my baby? Would that be an okay thing? Would you support that? Would anyone and really block that these days, you think? Well, object to it. Yeah, like have said that's going to be a problem for us. Well, I think yeah, I think it would be very rare that they would they would willingly take on a woman who was about to have a baby if yeah. you're not already established in the series. Right. I think that's the thing about, you know, the industry is if it's difficult, it's not necessarily... Yeah, why well, get involved, they think. Yeah, exactly. And I and I really I'm so grateful that they decided that I was the right person for it and that what was happening to me, they would support. Mm-hmm. You know, it, a lot of mothers don't get that. And, and I feel very, very lucky that that was the case. And I know that that is very unlikely in either, any other job that I do, that I'll ever have that free reign, yeah. <laughs> which is a bit of a pun. Yeah, right. um, <laughs> it's got to be hard enough to have a newborn child at home. You were also, I imagine, doing preparation to go to work on this simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. What did that involve? Well, I mean, luckily, you know, there was a lot of time, you know, I, so I sort of agreed to it about six months and I had sort of three months until the baby arrived where I just watched loads of stuff and did as much and just said to myself, I really sort of have to do this now because I don't know what's going to happen right. after the baby's born. And then there was obviously a lot of walking around with child in pram um, very tired listening to the Queen make Christmas speeches on my iPhone um, and, you know, reading when when um, she was asleep and just just cramming, yeah. really. Um, but also I think it gave me... I I couldn't do the unnecessary stuff. I couldn't do all the other... Ne- un- that I, you know, I loved researching and preparation. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favourite parts of the job is the preparation of it. But in that, I really had to go, what's the absolute necessary thing right. I need to do to be able to turn up on set? <laughs> and so I just really solidified what I needed to right. do and just went, that's what I need to do. That's what I don't need to do. Get rid of that. So the essential things included dialect coach? Dialect coach, William Conacher. Mm-hmm. I mean, worth his weight in gold. <laughs> what else was the... Some books? Yep, there was a uh, lots of kind of books about her. I mean, I read the famous Crawfy one, which is the um, Little Princesses one, <laughs> and and lots of other ones. But it was also mainly watching footage of her, what footage there was, the footage of her in public, the footage of her in private. But then also a large element of it was trusting Peter. He knows her very very well. Peter whether Morgan. he'd like, yeah, whether he'd like to admit it or not, but he does. And I think the Elizabeth that he has created, he is sort of the. Custodian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. It's, it's not. Yeah, and that's the amazing thing about the show that every couple of years it's going to be someone new because it's not the person who's playing the part, it's the part. Well, we should just take this opportunity to clarify because I think there are some people that have reported it as if 
you have had enough of the queen and you're leaving after season I'm two. Leaving. I've had enough. Get me out of here. It was actually from the outset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were going to do two seasons. Then they're going to have another person who might do whatever, however many. But you know, that was the what, plan all along. That, okay. And, and 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 you know, me and Matt both come from a relatively TV background, and you know, the idea of signing on for seven years is not something that I go. Oh my god, amazing! <laughs> Seven years for right. me. Know what I'm doing forever. Right, Brilliant. Right. That's not. I mean, it, you know, it's, it changes as I get older. Right. But it's not something that I think that's fantastic. That's what you know. That if anything, it would be like, oh my god, do I really want to do that? Right. And the incredible thing about this show was they were like, you know, that they, they've committed to doing two, and then you're gone. And it was like, okay, great, that's amazing. <laughs> Go for do two years work. Lovely, jubbly, and. I think it's something really special about the show. I mean, I'll be so interested to see how it works and what they do with it, but they're bound to do something really clever because yeah. they're all really clever. Yeah. And it and it is it's it is that thing of going it's not about one person, it's about you know, because it hasn't been, you know, Kristen Scott well, Thomas has done so, it. And, so and for you though, what do you what do you understand it to be about because Peter has previously done the movie The Queen in 2006. He mm-hmm. did on Broadway again with Helen Mirren the audience in 2015. Mm-hmm. What had he not explored that you feel his objective was to explore in this series? I think when he did the audience, he was fascinated by the idea of a young queen and the older statesman, Sir Churchill. He just found that really interesting, that she was 25 and he was 80. Mm-hmm. And she was she had no father, and she was technically one of the most powerful people in the country, even though a lot of the time her hands are tied. And he just found that a really interesting thing, and that really inspired him. And I think he realised that there wasn't enough room in a film to explore everything he wanted to explore and then I think he you know she that journey that she goes on in that first series is a fascinating one you 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 know you think you know someone is essentially the the tale you think you know someone and actually you, you don't know where they've come from and you don't underestimate them and don't think that their life has been all wonderful and marvelous and isn't it great <laughs> just because of the position that they're in and I think he it gave him the opportunity to explore you know I mean and especially in the second series it gives him the the room to explore Prince Philip and his extraordinary mm-hmm. story, which no one has ever even, you know, scratched the surface. Well, you've said in a few interviews, so I have to ask you, you've said you think he's the most interesting character in the show. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. I think he's an extraordinary man. I mean, I think his the, the, the story of his life is something that you actually couldn't make up. You yeah. couldn't make it up. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Did you elect to revisit the Helen Mirren Queen movie before doing yours or did you say I want to just totally divorce myself from that no because I felt like they were two very different people I thought that's why I felt really really lucky I felt think Helen probably had a really tough job in the sense that she was playing the queen when she was the most recognizable and I was luckily going back to a time where people she was still a mystery at that time you Mm -hmm. know there wasn't that much footage of her she wasn't that prevalent in society so it was that thing of sort of not that I had, I could take liberties with it. That is not what I do, but I could be more creative with it. And mm-hmm. I didn't feel like I had to play an 80 year old woman. Right. But I, I definitely, I, I went to the one DVD shop where I live <laughs> around the corner and bought it and watched it yeah. as research. Yeah. And actually, it was just watching a really yeah, good film no. for two hours and going, that was marvelous. Well done. <laughs> now, is it true also that you had once met the Queen? I did meet the Queen. What was, what was that about? Well, because of Little Dorrit, they did a well a sort of celebration of Dickens at the Buckingham Palace, and I went sort of thinking it was going to be me and four other people, and there was like eight hundred people there. Yeah, you just you just go, and then and then in the evening, you know, towards the end of the evening, you line up, and you know, you're shoved into a room, and someone shouts out your name and what your profession, and you go, 
hello, hello, thanks for having me. So you do a handshake or whatever? Yeah, handshake, and then you, you move you on. Get a little, did you get a photo? No, you don't get a photo. No, no. that would have been cool to no. now revisit. Yeah, no, but it's, it's uh, my, one of my best friends met her. Last week at a garden party. Last week, did, yeah, did yeah. Uh, she raise the no, topic? No, 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 no. God, that would have, she, she might have been told to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're going to come because there are we're starting to get some reactions from the royal family, so we will come to that. But first, when you're first showing up on set with your now, I guess, five month old child mm-hmm. at that point, and you're seeing all the the whole operation in, in oh. motion, you've done TV series and you've done films. Did this feel to you? more like a TV series, which is what it technically is, or like a very long movie, which the budget and the scale is more akin to? It felt like a very long movie, and not because... Because weirdly, on a, if it was a film of that scale, there'd just be lots of people, and you wouldn't really know what anyone's doing right. or anything. But it more felt like a movie because the attention to detail and the, the heads of department and all the people that they, were on the crew were the best. We're the best, the best, the best, yeah. the best, the best. Everyone, all the set dressers, all the costume standbys, everybody, all the makeup girls. It's the best of the best, and so, and the it was an amazing thing when you're on something which has got such an expectation. You know, everyone knew that there'd been the Queen, and then there was the audience, and Stephen Daughtry was directing it, and all was exciting right. to actually watch people never ever accept second best and that happens a lot on telly because Mm -hmm. you have to compromise you have to cut corners you have to make the day you know oh you know and it happened with wolf hall ever so slightly there was a scene in wolf hall where anne was strung up and it's in the book that the bits of her flesh are ripped off and and peter was like it's just too expensive we just can't do it we have to get prosthetic made for you and so it turns out to be the scene where i'm sort of dragged along a table Mm -hmm. in a sort of dream sequence but the crown that never happened if anything what happened was that people would be like Oh well, we we need to something. There needs to be another dimension to the scene. So can we get the corgis for the day? Or <laughs> there needs to be another dimension to the scene. Can we have a maid in the background hoovering? Right. Can we have you know? It, it was all about the world, and it was never just about what was happening in that in that close up. It was all about that, and and that's what makes it special is that all everyone's work you can see on screen every and single person for your work specifically you've said quote i feel very much like i was playing many different characters because the elizabeth at the beginning of the show is very different from the elizabeth at the end mm-hmm. and we're talking about only the first season there's still going to be the second with you but how long did it actually take to shoot season one and did you sort of have to map out how you were going to approach it because it was dealing with such a kind of an epic thing yeah, I mean, I think it was about seven or seven or eight months, I think, probably in total. I mean, actually, probably longer than that if we count the rehearsals. But I think I was very lucky. The directors that we had all were very in charge of their episodes. We shot out a sequence, which was not the plan, but we did. Ideal, right? We shot uh, we shot the coronation first, oh, pretty much, which wow. is mental. <laughs> so I had to sort of, in my head anyway, have the building blocks of where she was at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I had to do a lot of preparation about the fact where her and Philip's relationship was, where her and Margaret's relationship was, where she was in relation to the government, where she was in relation to the Prime Minister, mm-hmm. where she was in relation to the household. I couldn't just turn up and go, hey. <laughs> but then the directors were very, very good at saying, well, just remember that actually you've come from here and just remember actually that maybe this scene's about this. That's what they... They all have such an understanding of Peter's writing that you, you read it on the page and you think you know what it is and then you turn up and they're like, that's not what it is. And right. you're like, what? <laughs> but it seems like one of the other toughest things that you would have had to be up against with this character is you are being asked to convey the emotions of somebody who has made a 
specialty of hiding her emotions. Yep. <laughs> so how, what's the trick to doing that? Is it all like in the eyes? A lot of people have commented in their reviews and everything, which have been unbelievably favorable, that, you know, you have very expressive eyes. Is that really the, the trick here? I don't know whether there is a trick. I mean, I don't know. A director who I worked with, Devil Walsh on Little Dorrit, said to me when we were doing that, and that was a real learning experience for me, she just said, listen, you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is think. Think as you're just and just be in the scene. And that's the, the only thing I've ever done is just it's all about the other person that you're in the scene with. It's not about you. It's not about what you're doing. It's all about what you're trying to do to them or what you're trying to figure out what they're thinking. Or, you know, you're never going, oh, I'll raise my eyebrow in this bit. Or, you know, <laughs> that's just not going to work. Right. So I don't actually do anything apart from listen. <laughs> or <laughs> That's a big thing. I really enjoy being in scenes with actors and I really enjoy the camera. I really love knowing that there's another character in the scene with you who's seeing things that you don't even know that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I love, I love, I don't know why I do, but I just love, I love it. I love the camera. Not in like a, <laughs> I love the camera sort of way, but I just, do, I do, it feels like a, I mean, especially in the crown, it felt like a friendly yeah. presence. It didn't feel like something to be scared of. Most of your scenes probably, I guess, are with Matt Smith, who just they paid us sure a visit, are. Prince Philip. So is it true? It sounds like, there were some things that were shot that, that understandably did not make it in. You're doing yeah. a massive thing. Some of the more risque stuff, though, did you guys choose to pull it out of the verbally, physically, all of that? Was it toned down, what we've seen in the final I don't. I mean, it was never risque. No. I mean, <laughs> steady on. Let's be honest. It was never like Mills and Boone or right. some sort of like erotic thriller. <laughs> but no, I think, you know, when we were in South Africa, which was doubling for Kenya, we shot Reams. It was Stephen Daldry. Yeah. So it, we were essentially off the leash in South Africa for three weeks and we shot out of Africa. Right. That's what we shot. <laughs> but but with the, the Queen and Prince Philip right. falling in love and having amazing time and, right. you know, being completely infatuated with each other. Right. None of it's in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably not a bad thing. Right. I mean, when we were there, we were literally going, there's enough stuff for a film here. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, but that's the nature of the beast is that you can't keep everything in. And I think the way that Peter runs the show is that it's like a film and and he doesn't know what the, he he gives you 10 episodes from the off, from the off which never ever happens yeah. and is extraordinary but he might watch something and go that was terrible or that was interesting or i love that actor get mm -hmm. him in it again you know it's just the the way it goes and that it's just a continual changing organism and it's never one thing or another really was there one scene though that challenged you the most you have great stuff with obviously john lithgow as mm -hmm. churchill you have stuff with Margaret, when you find out your father's that just so many great moments. Was there one that that stands out as challenging you the the most? I mean, I, I broke my elbow. Really? <laughs> yeah, in all the scenes where I found out my father's dead, I'd broken my bloody elbow. Jesus I went to my, I went, I had one night, I had one night off and it was one of my best friend's weddings and I, I was still feeding my baby, I wasn't drinking <laughs> and I stood on a chair to watch the first dance oh. and someone pulled me off the chair and I broke my elbow I was like, you're joking. Oh, my God. You're joking. Oh the one night. And so then I ended up in A&E until 3 o'clock in the morning. And I phoned up the producer, Andrew Eaton, and he still got the message on his phone of me going, yeah, Andrew, so <laughs> I, I've broken my elbow. 
And there was like talks that I should be wearing a poncho, that maybe I could have it in a sling and pretend it was a horse riding accident. And so that was that was challenging. For me, the challenging thing about it was an endurance thing. You know, I had a small child. I had the biggest job of my life. I broke my elbow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was more just like, I can do this. Right. But a lot of the scene, you know, I think the scenes, you know, for example, where I first see my father's body, I, I find those reassuringly not easy to do I don't mean that but reassuringly it's out of your hands the yeah. stage is set for you and you don't really have to do much thinking apart from just be in the room and just go oh my god his sh- look at the he's got his shoes on yes. and recognising your father's shoes and, right. and so that set me off but the scene I found really the hardest of all was in Australia where I threw a tennis racket at Philip's head <laughs> It's a good answer. Yeah, because I had to be really angry and right. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> well, with our with our final two minutes here, if mm-hmm. I can just we sort of like a uh, first thing that comes to your mind about oh, some gosh. things. Okay. Having lived in the queen skin. Yeah. If you could have snapped your fingers and lived the life that she's lived, as opposed, to, you know, is it a life that you would have nope. been happy living? No. Nope. No. 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 One hundred percent. Just oh, just not worth nope. the nope. price you have to pay. No. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Is the queen a good role model for young women today? She's a good role model for anyone. I yeah. think someone who's committed their life to something, it's not necessarily everybody should do it and everyone's not cut out for it, but, you know, she's achieved an awful lot. If you had an audience with the Queen today as opposed to a few years ago when you did, having gone through this whole experience, what would you say to her? I would, and I'd cry. Really? Yeah, and I'd tell her I love her. Wow. Yeah. Recently, a few different members of the royal family have shared their reactions to the crown. I'm assuming you get briefed on this no. stuff. No, someone else has said that today. Who? Princess Eugenie, Eugenie, oh, the yeah. Queen's granddaughter, told a group in London, "Quote: It has been filmed beautifully. The music is wonderful. The story is beautiful, and you feel very proud to watch it." Close quote. Oh. Additionally, there was a report this week that seems credible to me that suggests that the Queen's son Edward. And his wife, Sophie, arranged for her Saturday night viewing sessions in the Sovereign's <laughs> private apartments at Windsor Castle and that she really liked it. Why are you Why are you laughing? I just think it's so hilarious. Can you imagine? It? You don't think it's plausible? I mean, it's plausible, but I just I can't imagine a world in which that Where she's happen. watching it? Okay. Yeah. If a referendum were to come up down the road about whether or not to discontinue the monarchy... <gasps> Where would you fall on this? Oh, my God. I can't. I mean, if it was right this second now, absolutely not keep it. <laughs> but I, in, in years to come, I just don't know because it's going to change. It's going to change an awful lot. How has your life changed the most since that people started seeing this? <gasps> it's wonderful to be part of something that people have enjoyed. But I, All right. But on but, a practical level, you're out on the street or the supermarket or whatever. What's... No one gives two shits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not joking. I really? literally would have to beg. I'd have to be have to go out in my wig. I've actually been out in my wig and full costume for dinner in London while we've been shooting. And even then people I actually walked in me and Matt walked into a restaurant together and, and a woman went, Oh, you look nice. I was like, Are you joking? Like I just, I just never. I was on the tube as. I mean, I can't even tell you. It's, it's, it's like throw me a bone. Christ. <laughs> I have read that you may be doing a Girl with a Dragon Tattoo sequel. I don't know if that's confirmed yet, but no, no, it's no. not not happening. I'm not saying anything. Okay. Well, the only <laughs> here's the the question is more general though. You've done a lot of period dramas. We've talked mm-hmm. about. Is there a desire to specifically do something that's very different from that, so that 
for, you know, for yourself or to show others that you do other things? Or like, what is that a consideration when you're picking your next role? I do, it's not so much a consideration. I, I definitely don't want to do something that's similar to this, mm-hmm. just for my own sanity. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily have to be me going mental. <laughs> and I'm not going to pick something just for the sake of it either. But right. saying that, you know, you don't know what it is until it's there. Okay. And finally, mm-hmm. it's a very interesting moment, I would imagine, for, for you right now. There's a lot of, I think this has got to have, dwarf the amount of attention that a lot of the other great work that you've done but has not gotten this level of attention so if you were to you know for time capsule purposes if you or your baby child were one day to come back and listen to this how would you how would you describe this exact moment for you right now not this exact moment but you know this moment and generally it's very weird to suddenly be in a position where people think that you're worth their attention (laughs) as in it is very enlightening and also lovely and also scary but it's a very very interesting position to be in and I think very few people are ever in this position and I'm very much following John Lithgow in his sort of way of being in life which is just oh this is what's (laughs) happening now this is interesting okay and just receiving it all and just going this is lovely and you know and and really enjoying that people have loved something that i've done and even if it all ends from there then it's really lovely really lovely your majesty thank you very much i appreciate it (laughs) thanks a lot (laughs) thank you very much Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.